In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, one God, Amen. So God willing, today we're going to conclude the series we've been talking about, lessons from the life of Samuel the prophet. We have two more points, so maybe we'll finish a little earlier today. Um, the the eighth point um, regarding um, his life that we can learn from is, is how to handle disappointments. Um, so Samuel, when when you know he was the the judge and the prophet, and God told him to anoint Saul to be the king. Now at the beginning, Samuel was rejecting the idea of having a king, um, and 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 he felt personally rejected by the people because the people were demanding to have a king, and God told Samuel that they are not rejecting you, but they are rejecting me, um, and gave them all these warnings about what's going to happen if they have a king. Uh, but the people insisted to have a king, and so Samuel was fine with that, and he was um, cooperating. And God told him who to anoint to be the king, um, and it was Saul. Um, so when when Samuel discovered Saul um, as the one whom God had chosen to be king, it said here in First uh, Samuel chapter ten. So they ran and brought him from there. And when he stood among the people, he was taller than any of the people from his shoulders upward. And Samuel said to all the people, Do you see him whom the Lord has chosen, that there is no one like him among all the people? So all the people shouted and said, Long live the king. So uh, Samuel, uh, and we'll talk about this as the next point, about focusing on the outward appearance. But um, he, was, he, he was very impressed with Saul. And he said, Look how big and tall and powerful looking um, he is, and and he was proud of this person whom God had chosen. But we know, of course, that Saul ultimately was rejected um, as being the king, um, and so Samuel had to live with that disappointment, right? He had to live with the disappointment. Um, it says um, uh, when um, when when God was speaking to Samuel about rejecting Saul, it says, "Now the word of the Lord came to Samuel, saying, I greatly regret.'" That I have set up Saul as king, for he has turned back from me, following turned back from following me, and has not performed my commandments. And it grieved Samuel, and he cried out to the Lord all night. So why is it grieving Samuel so much? Well, it's grieving him because he had put his hopes in Saul as the king, as the one chosen by God, the one he himself anointed um, to be king, um, and he had a lot of expectations about what Saul would be. But because Saul did not meet those expectations, he was, of course, um, disillusioned and disappointed. And it said it grieved Samuel, and he cried out to the Lord all night. And maybe, um, you know, we can uh, identify uh, with Samuel in this, and that there are times where we ourselves are very, very disappointed because of some hopes that we had um, that ended up not coming to pass. Um, and so w what are some expectations that maybe we have, maybe sometimes unrealistic expectations. Um, we have an idea or a plan of how we think things should be, right? And they do not work out. Um, people want to get a certain job, doesn't work out. Want to marry a certain person, doesn't work out. Want to live in a certain place, doesn't work out. Um, all kinds of things that we desire um, and feel like is best for us and, and want it so badly. And then it doesn't work out and we become very um, disappointed. But we should always remind ourselves that we do not see things as they really are, right? We do not see things as they, we really, as, as they really are. And maybe all of us also have an experience where we, we wanted something very badly, thinking that it was good for us, and then we actually got it, 
and then discovered that it wasn't anything like what we thought it was going to be. It was something far worse than what we imagined. And we were disappointed because we actually got what we wanted. Um, and it wasn't as good as we had hoped. Um, so sometimes we think that we know what's in our best interests, but we have uh, a skewed perception of it. Or maybe we make Im uh, decisions very emotionally without fully thinking through what are the ramifications, what are the consequences, what is the outcome of actually receiving what it is that we want. And so we get strung along for a very long time, hoping, dreaming, fantasizing, uh, yearning, longing for something. And it becomes a fixation, something that we desire more than anything. And, we, it, and maybe it, we, we lose all sense and all reason in the desire for it. And it just becomes kind of like um, a goal that we have become so used to wanting something we want so much more than anything at the expense of everything else. Like some people get to the point where they want something so badly that it, it causes their whole life to suffer. Um, they lose all other things. They, they're not able to enjoy um, anything else because they focus so much on the thing that they have not attained, the thing that they wish for and they have not received. And also um, part of this uh, is because we feel that we know better than God what is good for us. And we tell him this is good. We tell him this is a good thing. I want it. Give it to me. And if you don't give it to me, then you're not good. If you don't give it to me, then you've messed up. You've made a mistake. It's not correct. It's not right. Uh, it has to be this way. And if it's not this way, then I, I, will re I refuse to be comforted. I refuse to accept that I live a life without this thing um, that I desire. Samuel was disappointed because he felt that his judgments were correct. He, he, f he felt like this man Saul, this powerful man, how is it that he could be rejected? Why is it that this did not work out for him to be the king? Now, of course, we know that David came and, and replaced Saul as the king. And David was one of the best kings that, um, that, that Israel ever had. And Israel would never have had David as the king if Saul continued to be the king. And maybe in that moment, Samuel thought, um, like, this is a big tragedy that's happening. But God had a different plan. And the plan of God was better than Samuel's plan. Samuel could not have predicted or known what it is that God had in store. He had something better. Um, we experience disappointment because we don't have vision or faith to trust that God will provide something better. Right? God will always provide something better. The reason he is not giving us something that we desire is because he wants for us something better. Now, that thing that is better might be better in different ways. You know, like, for instance, one of the reasons in Scripture, I think in the ep epistle of St. James, he says one of the reasons that our prayers go unanswered is because we ask amiss that we might um, just seek what is for our pleasure um, selfishly, something that is not the will of God, something that is maybe lustful or something that is harmful to us, something that is not in alignment with God's will for us or for others. And so one of the reasons maybe we don't receive is because what we are asking in and of itself is wrong. Um, but also because we don't believe that God is sufficient or that God can give and provide the things that we need or what God is providing for us is even better than we are asking for him. You know, Christ said, if a son asks for bread, will God give him a stone? Or will, the f will his father give him a stone? Like if we're asking for something good, right, that's like, like bread, is God going to give us something bad? Is he going to give us a rock instead of the bread that we are asking? It's just sometimes we think we're asking for bread. We think we're asking for something good when actually we're asking for something very harmful. Um, anyone who's a parent has this experience 
that there are times where our children ask us for things that are harmful. They are convinced that they are good. They are convinced that they know what's best for them. But we as parents, maybe with our experience, know that what they're asking for is actually going to damage them. And so we say, no, we're not going to give it to you. And maybe we try our best to even explain. But the children, not being at an age of having had that experience themselves, maybe reject our explanation. They reject um, the, the reasons that we give them of why is it that we are not giving it to them. And they just kind of fume and become angry at us or think that we are hateful or negligent or you know we, we're, we're, we don't love them because we don't give them what they want. Maybe children um, conclude this and maybe we conclude that sometimes about God when he doesn't give us what we want. Um, if you look at some of the examples in the scripture where someone maybe was very disappointed. Um, so Moses, for instance, um, at the time when he saw uh, an Egyptian uh, harming and attacking and, and uh, one of his fellow Hebrew brethren, and Moses feeling at the time that this was the opportunity that God was preparing for him to rise up and to lead the people, uh, and have a revolution, a rebellion against the Egyptians and lead the people out of Egypt. Um, this is what he believed. He knew that God had called him for this and he didn't know how it would come about. So he said, you know what, maybe this is the time. We're going to have an armed revolt. Um, we're gonna, we're, I'm going to lead the people. People are going to see me as a defender um, and as a leader and we're all going to you know, uh, cast off this oppression um, and, and leave the country or we're going to you know, over, over, overcome them or whatever it is. And so Moses, um, killing this Egyptian man, but everything turned out very differently than he thought. It was not an opportunity for a rebellion. It was not that the people saw him as a leader. It wasn't that everybody, you know, like, like, like saw him as a defender. Actually, the following day uh, when it happened, um, he was rebuked even by his own people. And he said, who made you a judge over us? And, and Moses then realizing that uh, he was in danger because of what he had done, he fled. And instead of being a leader of people, um, you know, he, he went and became a shepherd. For 40 years, he became a shepherd. And certainly during those 40 years, he never would have imagined that there was anything left for him to go back to or that, or that he, you know, maybe the, the calling of God, um, you know, he had, he had messed it up. He couldn't, he couldn't go back. He, he was too old now. He was 80 years old at the time when God called him to return to Egypt, that definitely was not going to be what he imagined to be the way that God was going to use him to lead the people. So there was great disappointment, I'm sure, for Moses um, as he's fleeing, as he is leaving his life behind and going and being a shepherd and feeling like he's missed his calling. God had called him to do this and he messed it up and now he's run away. So God had though prepared something better. He knew that Moses wasn't ready yet to do this task. Um, because Moses could not have imagined what, what, what does it entail. And, and certainly we see that Moses um, having the patience uh, and the mercy to lead, you know, over a million people uh, out of Egypt uh, is something that maybe he was not yet capable of at the time when he was a younger man, when he was 40 years old at the time where he killed the Egyptian. And God wanted to season him. God wanted to teach him humility. God wanted to show him that, that it is not through force that he is going to lead the people out of Egypt, but through the miracles, through what God is going to do. Um, so, so this disappointment that he experienced, that he believed and thought was the end, was actually just the beginning of something better, right? Um, also, 
um, also with Moses after he does return to Egypt after God calls him. Um, again, in his mind, Moses thinks this is going to be a simple matter. God told him, go, go to Pharaoh and tell him, let my people go. And Moses did that. He went to Pharaoh to let my people go. Um, but, but, Mo but Pharaoh's reaction was nothing what Moses would have hoped for. And actually, he doubled the work on the people as a result. He said, because you can dare even to come to me and ask for these Hebrew slaves to be released, I'm going to now increase the workload on all of the people. And again, you could see it in the reaction of Moses when he is going to God in his anger. And he's saying, it would have been better and better for me never even have to come here. Why did you even bring me here if all I did was I came here <clears throat> and everything is worse, right? So again, that's another disappointment that Moses experienced. It didn't go the way that he expected it to go. But again, God had something better because if it was a simple matter of Moses just going to Pharaoh and be like, let the people go and everybody's released, we would have missed out on all the things that God was going to do to demonstrate his power, all the plagues, um, the, the crossing of the Red Sea, er, er, all of the things that the, the Israelites looked back toward and saw the power of their God and how he led them out of Egypt with a mighty hand, all of that became a legacy for them, a heritage for them, something that even the nations, the surrounding nations, like remembered for, for generations, that these people, their God, are the ones who God let them out, uh, led them out of, of Egypt and crossed the Red Sea and all of that. So God had a reason for not making it easy because he wanted to be glorified in it and for people to see his power in it, to, for, for the people to see how much God loved them, right, in what he was doing. So again, God had prepared something better. The disciples, for instance, during the time of the crucifixion, um, they were very, very disappointed. They, they, couldn't, they couldn't believe, like their teacher has now been killed. When, 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 the, when the first time when Christ revealed to the apostles that he was going to be crucified, right, what is it that, what is it that St. Peter said? He said, no, I will never allow this to happen to you. And so when this ministry that these fishermen and others, you know, left their, their careers and their families and everything to go be a part of this ministry of the Lord for the three years that he was on the earth, maybe they would have imagined the end of it to be something much more glorious than simply our master is now killed, right? He is crucified. And you can see it in their reaction, because what is it the disciples did after the crucifixion of the Lord? Well, one, they all fled. They all ran. They didn't have the courage to stay. And then they went back to fishing again. Like these men who were fishermen, who were called to be fishers of men, when the Lord called, as long as they were with the Lord, they, like, they left fishing completely. You don't read at all in the scriptures that from the time that they were called until the, after the crucifixion of Christ that they went back to fishing, right? It was only after that that you see, okay, you know what? Maybe they're thinking, well, all of this was for nothing. Um, it, it was nice while it lasted, and we saw the miracles, and we cast out demons, and we went and we preached, and we did all this stuff, but it's over now, right? And it's nothing, nothing is going to come of it. But then, of course, we see when the Lord resurrects, and they, they see him, they realize that it's not over, right? That maybe this is just the beginning of something even better, something like the next phase. So a lot of times our disappointments are just the beginning of something better. Like God didn't give it to us. He didn't want us to have it, not because he's not good and not because he can't, but because there is something even better that God is preparing for us um, in the end. Um, so when God sees Samuel mourning Saul, that he has been rejected, 
um, what is it that the Lord says? It says, Now the Lord said to Samuel, How long will you mourn for Saul, seeing I have rejected him from reigning over Israel? Fill your horn with oil and go. I am sending you to Jesse the Bethlehemite, for I have provided myself a king among his sons. So God, of course, knowing from the beginning what is it that he had planned to do, that once Saul is rejected, it's not like God is just like, has no clue now. What are we going to do? What are we going to do that Saul is rejected? That's how Samuel was thinking, right? He's like, what are we going to do? But God already had in his mind who was going to replace Saul. So again, Samuel, it was like he, he was so sorrowful because he thought he knew better than God. He thought that there was no plan, that God didn't have any plan. So when we are disappointed, we should realize that God has a plan. This maybe came upon us as a surprise, as a shock, as, as something unexpected. But for God, it was not unexpected. For God, it was expected. And he knew that this would all happen. And he knew what would come after. And he wanted us to go through this disappointment for a reason, to learn something um, maybe from it. And during these times of disappointment, God provides hope so that we can continue in faith, trusting that he will reveal what is the reason for the next thing. What is the what is going to come next? The story is not over yet, but maybe it's just um, beginning. The last point um, that I want to mention of what we can learn from the life of Samuel the prophet is 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 not focusing on the outward appearance. Okay, um, so again, this verse when um, when Saul was chosen by God to be the king, we we'll read it again. It says it says what um, Samuel said to all the people. Do you see him? whom the Lord has chosen, that there is no one like him among all the people. Why? Because it says he was taller than any of the people from his shoulders upward. So he was a big man, right? He was, he was large. Um, but we asked, like, is Saul's height, like, was that the qualification to be the king was because he was the tallest, right? But for in the mind of Saul, like, having seen that like, God chose this one, John, God chose this one to be the king. Well, he chose him. Why? Did he choose him because he was the tallest? Um, but in the eyes of man, maybe we look at things from the outward appearance and we judge according to the outward appearance and, and we trust in the things that appear to be good or holy or strong or whatever. And again, one of the reasons that we are poor judges, we are poor judges because we judge according to things that are false. Um, when, when God sent Samuel in chapter 16, um, to the house of Jesse to anoint one of his sons to be the king. Samuel fell into the same problem again because he saw the oldest son of Jesse and actually Jesse himself fell into this. He saw the oldest son of Jesse and he's like, what? Um, it says, so, so it was when they came that he looked at Eliab. Eliab was the oldest son of Jesse. Surely the Lord's anointed is before him. Why? Because of how he looked. He didn't know anything about him. He just met him, right? Because he looked strong. He was the oldest son. This must be the one that God would choose as the oldest son, okay? But the Lord said to Samuel, do not look at his, out, at his appearance or at his physical stature because I refused him. For the Lord does not see as man sees. For a man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart, okay? And so <laughs> then they pretty much, they went through every single son that was there. And God said, no, I reject all of these, right? So Samuel was perplexed. He was like, are these all of your sons? He said, no, well, there's another one, but the other one is surely is not the one who was chosen, right? The youngest son, 
right? Sure, he could not have been the one that was sure. Like he was so young and small that he wasn't even considered one of the candidates by Jesse, right? To even bring him there at the time when they, when when Samuel visited. So he said, "Go and and fetch him." And then they fetched him, and God said, "This is the one, right? That I have chosen." So again, God used a different metric, a different way of judging the heart that is invisible to us, that we do not see, right? And we see like throughout all of the scripture that God chooses the people who maybe no one would have chosen. No one would have chosen the disciples. No one would have chosen them, these specific group of men who were uneducated, who were fishermen. Like they had no education. They had no scholarly background. They were not teachers of the law. They, like no one would have looked at them and said, yes, these are the ones that I choose. You know, so so God looks to a different set of criteria to determine. And for instance, one of the things he looks for is humility. And a lot of times those who are the most humble are also the most invisible. They are the ones that you do not see. They're the ones who are not prominent. They're the ones that have no name for you to to know them. Like St. Simon the Tanner, right? He was the one um, by whom the miracle of the moving of the Mu'atta mountain was done. When, 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 when the Christians needed to move the mountain of the Mu'attam so that they would not be persecuted um, by, by the Egyptian authorities and killed. Um, and, and then the Pope, he prayed, and God told him it is about through the prayers of this one man, this no-name man, that no one even knew who he was, who was a shoemaker. It is through his prayers that God is going to move the mountain. So even as all of the people stood in front of the mountain praying, and the Pope and all of the clergy and all of the people, but it was only the prayers of the one man, right, St. Simon, that God was moving the mountain, right? So again, it is, it, is, it is from the outward appearance, you would have said, well, maybe it's the Pope, the Pope's prayers, or a bishop's prayers, or somebody prominent, right, the, the holy people. But God saw that this man was holier and more righteous and his prayers were more accepted than um, all of the others. So what are some ways that we judge based on this outward appearance? Well, definitely physical appearance, right? We, there are the people who are the most physically attractive um, maybe uh, receive a kind of honor or a kind of like acceptance or, or it's easier for us to, um, to see them as being good in some way or attracted to them in some way because of the way they look. Or those people who are wealthy and have a lot of possessions. We see them as being, um, you know, having a lot of resources and wealth. Maybe we treat them with extra honor. Um, people who are in high positions, you know, like if, if the president of the United States came, comes into the church, maybe we would be more impressed, right, than any other person. Or maybe we would run away. I don't know. Um, but, but something would happen, right, because of the position, right? Like, we, like people honor position and rank, um, intelligence, someone who is very intelligent, maybe is going to be given more honor um, than someone else, or people will listen to that person more, or have great achievements, or maybe come from a very prominent family, right? There are many ways that we could judge uh, a person um, from outward appearances, but this is not the way that the Lord judges. Um, so one thing we learn here um, is, is, is not to judge by the outward appearance. How does God judge? So God looks at the intentions of the heart, right? What is the intentions of a person? Their, you know, their, their, what is it that they want to be? What is it that they are trying to do? Maybe we look at um, someone who falls into sin and we say, oh, this person's a sinner, right? But what is it that they want to be? What is it that they're trying to do? Maybe they're not successful, 
You know, what is it? What, but what is it that they would like to be? When the adulterous woman who came and washed the feet of Christ, right? Like everyone looked at her as being an adulterous woman. They labeled her as such. But what was the intentions of her heart? Her intentions is that she wanted to be a repentant woman. Her intentions is that she wanted to be a holy woman. But nobody could see that. Nobody could see that other than the Lord. Everyone just saw her according to her reputation. The willingness to obey. You know, um, sometimes we, the reason that we don't know and we can't judge accurately is maybe because we judge according to what we've already seen. But what about the things that have yet to be revealed? You know, like let's say um, that at some point in the future there's going to be a very difficult trial. And in that trial, there'll be some people who obey God and remain faithful during the trial. And there's other people who fall away and do not. Um, and there's no way for us as human beings to know who's going to choose this or that because the trial hasn't happened yet. And if you look at maybe a past history, maybe we have yet to experience something of the magnitude that would test our faith to that limit. And so we look at even at ourselves and we say, am I a faithful person? Yes, I've lived my life faithfully and I'm obedient to God and, you know, I'm repentant and so on. But how do you know that that's what you will continue to be? How do you know that there isn't just some... Uh, temptation that is going to come in the future that's going to break you that's going to make you actually to go away all the people who went astray in the scripture or in the world they, they didn't intend to do that like from the beginning you know there was a time where they were very faithful servants that served with saint paul for instance um who were faithful um judas right like it wasn't from the very moment of their calling that they intended from the beginning to disobey Right. So who can perceive and who can know? It's only God himself. Um, someone who is humble, who is not seeking prominence, who is not seeking to be well known, who's not seeking um, the spotlight, but someone who is content maybe to just work in whatever area they've been given without desiring more. Um, someone who is a repentant person, who is really like, again, maybe there's a person who um, from the outside, when we judge that person, they, they seem to be sinful, but we don't know the repentance in their heart. The, the right-hand thief, um, everyone would look at him as being a thief. He is a swindler, right? He is not a righteous man. Um, who would say that he would be the one to first enter paradise, right? But God saw his repentance, and that's something that maybe it was impossible to see otherwise. The sincerity of a person, um, you know, a person who is not trying to cover up, a person who is not trying to hide who they really are, a person who is not living a double life. They're genuine and sincere. Um, and someone who hates sin, right? Someone who wants... To, to live a life of purity. All these are, are reasons why, um, or, or ways that God would consider a person. And in all these things, uh, it's very difficult for us to judge as human beings. It's very, very difficult. That's why when God looked at the heart of David, even though he was young, right, and, and fragile and, and weak compared to his older brothers, he said, no, this is the one, right? This is the one who is to be um, the king. And if we look then at what David did after this point, what is it that David was able to accomplish after this point that no one would have imagined or thought? So there's the famous story of David and Goliath. Would anyone have believed that this young boy would be the one to slay Goliath and have the courage to slay Goliath? No, we would have looked at the older ones and said, these are the stronger warriors, these are the ones who can fight, and so on, and we would have been wrong, right? Um, uh, David was faithful in his service to Saul when Saul was the king, even as Saul was trying to kill him. And he, he, st he stopped every opportunity from killing Saul 
because Saul was the anointed king of God, even though his own life was at risk. His own life was at risk. And at every opportunity he had to, to kill the man who was trying to kill him, he refused. Um, again, who would do this? Who And who could have known that David would be um, this way? Um, uh, after Saul's death, um, Saul had a handicapped son um, who could not function normally. Um, David took him in and he served him and he gave him everything that he needed, allowed him to eat at his own table, right? So he didn't say, you know what, because you are the son of my enemy, then I'm going to you know, harm you or I'm going to neglect you. No, he actually took responsibility for the son of Saul and he allowed him to live with him in the castle. And God says, uh, uh, after, God says about David that he is a man after my own heart. And you can imagine if God would say this, like the heart of God, and to say that this man is a man after my own heart, this is like a compliment that cannot be described, like uh, that God would say this about a human being, that, that their heart is, is like the heart of God. Um, Christ came from his lineage um, through David, and we know he wrote many psalms and he prophesied about the coming of Christ and other events, like all these ways that David served God that we would never have predicted. So if we judge according to the outward appearance, we would have missed a person like David, right? We would have missed him. But God does not judge by outward appearance, but he knows like the heart. So that's why when it comes for us, so of course we are called to judge, right? Like we are called to make the choices. Let me put it that way, not judge. We are called to choose things. And we are called to choose people. Like if you're trying to select a person to be in a certain position or rank, this is why like we, we pray and we ask God to illuminate us to be able to see what we do not see um, and not so be to be so quick to judge according to these um, vain characteristics that maybe we so easily um, jump to. So that's the final point I wanted to mention about uh, what we can learn from the life um, of Samuel the prophet. Does anyone have any final comments or questions? Yes. You want to go over all of them again? I think I have them here. Okay, so these are the these are the ones that we these are the ones that we spoke about um, over the last three weeks. The first one was listening to God's calling when Samuel was a child, and he heard the voice of God speaking to him, saying, "Samuel, Samuel," right? And and then Samuel, once he realized this was God speaking, he said, "What speak, Lord? For your servant hears." So he's listening like to the voice of God. The second is speaking the unpleasant truth. What is it that God had told Samuel as a child? He told him that he is rejecting Eli the priest. And he wanted Samuel to tell the priest, Eli, that, he's, that Eli is being rejected as the high priest. Of course, for a young child to go to the high priest and tell him that God appeared to me and told me that he is rejecting you from being the priest, maybe this would have been difficult for him to say, right? Maybe, maybe even as adults, we struggle to speak unpleasant truth to people, being afraid of them being offended, or what is it that they would do to me if I, if I say this to them? And yet Samuel was not afraid to do this. He considered other people's sins as his own when he was praying and asking for God's mercy on the people. He ex accepted like he himself was among the people. He wasn't rebuking the people away, but he considered he himself was among them. Um, trusting in God more than man, um, because he was always trusting in what God was revealing to him more than what the people around him were saying. Praying for those that reject us because the people rejected him from being the prophet. They wanted a king. And Samuel was hurt by this. And, and he's essentially he felt like it was a personal offense against him. That if he were a good enough leader for them, 
then they would not have sought a king. And yet he said, what well, even if you reject me, I will not cease to pray for you. Um, wisdom and authority come from God alone because God is the one who granted wisdom and knowledge to Samuel and it said about him that his words never fell to the ground, meaning whatever it is that he said would happen because God gave him that wisdom um, and authority and, and so that whatever words he would speak as the prophet, indeed they were true. Um, give God what he wants, not what we think will please him. We learned this from the example of Saul um, whenever uh, he was uh, he captured the king uh, Agag and he captured the sheep um, that were uh, of the enemy and God told him to kill the king and the, sh the sheep but Saul didn't and instead he kept the sheep and he said why because we're going to offer it as a sacrifice um, but God didn't say to offer it a sacrifice he said to kill the sheep destroy the sheep um, but but um, Saul was convinced that he did the right thing and Samuel rebuked him and then the ones that we talked about today, handling disappointments and unmet expectations, and then finally focusing um, on the outward appearance. <coughs> Any other comments? Okay. Let's pray. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, one God, amen. We thank you, Lord, for this day. We ask, O oh God, for your blessing and to teach us all the many lessons we can learn from the life of Samuel the prophet and all of the other servants, O oh Lord, that serves you faithfully in the scripture. We ask, O oh God, that you reveal to us our weaknesses and to see the things, O oh God, that prevent us from serving you more and to trusting you more in our life. We thank you, O oh Lord, for your mercy. Grant us, O oh Lord, to do your will and to receive from you everything that is good. Through the prayers of St. Mary, Archangel Michael, St. Paul, St. Mark, and all your saints, hear us as we pray thankfully. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us and lead us not to temptation, but deliver us from evil one. In Christ Jesus our Lord, for thine is the kingdom, power, and the glory forever and ever. Amen. The love of God the Father, the grace of the only begotten Son, our Lord God and Savior Jesus Christ, the communion of the gift of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Go in peace. The peace of the Lord be with you all. Amen.